0: good morning and happy fourth of july weekend i'm jim jeffrey one of the pastors here at chapel point and we are grateful to have you here we're in a series of messages entitled break the mold what does that really mean well after high school i worked in a plastics factory for a period of time and we had three different kinds of machines injection molding Vacuum molding and also blow molding machines In the injection molding we made hard plastic things like camera parts and the blow molding we made bottles for milk and uh, those kind of uh, hollow things out of plastic and then we the vacuum molding was kind of a unique thing where we actually made plastic uh, covers for kitchen cupboards Apparently it didn't really last very long because I don't think they make them anymore But the interesting thing about those molds is everything came out shaped exactly like the mold paul in romans 12 1 and 2 talks about our response to christ's redeeming grace and how we are to not be conformed or pressed into the mold of this world but to be transformed to be changed from within in other words, wherever whatever the lifestyle of the world, wherever the values of the world, whether the thinking of the world violates God's word, then we need to resist it and be transformed. And be transformed. One of the people in the Bible that's a great example of that is Gideon, and Gideon is just one of my favorite Bible characters. And I want to jump into this with you. If you turn to um, Judges chapter six, uh, just a little background here. The book of Judges is in contrast to the book of Joshua that comes just before it. So Moses dies in Deuteronomy. Joshua leads the people across the Jordan River into a period of great victory and conquest. Joshua is a general, and and God just does amazing things in the book of Joshua. Uh, About 200 years later is where we jump into the story, and the book of Judges is the opposite of the book of Joshua. So in Joshua, you have victory in Judges you have defeat. Matter of fact, a good way to sum up the book of Judges is you have seven cycles of spiritual defeat or decline. It sort of happens like this. The people of God begin to worship the idols of the people around them. And after being warned by God, confronted, they then begin to become oppressed by those very people. They come into bondage, and then they repent of their sin and call out to God, and God delivers them brings a period of, of peace, and then the whole thing starts over again, seven times. In other words, they're sort of like us. We don't learn very quickly, and that's what happens. And so Gideon's story is a part of that. He's the sixth judge. Probably the key verse of the book of Judges is found in the last verse of the book. Judges twenty one forty five says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words friends when we need to understand that when we are being our own authority that we will always be in spiritual decline and defeat. When we are simply being pressed into the mold of this world's thinking and values and lifestyle we will not be living in a movement of God. And so Gideon's story starts with the context in verses 1 to 10. I want you to catch this the people of Israel, verse 1, did what was evil in the sight of God, and they were involved in idolatry and sin. So the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian, and please give the time frame here, seven years. So the description uh, is given to us of how desperate those times were. Think about that being repeated over seven long, horrible years. And Midian was actually Abraham's son by his second wife, Keturah. And Midian means strife, and they created a lot of strife. So when Abraham's ready to die, he sends Midian, his son, away from Isaac so that Isaac would be the heir. And so they go down to a desert area. If you look at the peninsula where um, Saudi Arabia is and some of those things, right along the northeast coast of that is where the Midianites made their home. That's where they lived. They were desert dwellers joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers to the midianites moses when he escapes egypt goes to midian and the midianites became adversaries and continually were attempting to press israel into their mold by getting them to worship their gods and undermine the worship of the true and living god matter of fact when you get to the book of numbers this king of moab called balak tries to get balaam a a hireling prophet to curse the israelites and the Midianites are involved in that so they became the adversaries they became the enemies of God and they're doing that so you look at verse 2 seven years this is going on the hand of Midian overpowered Israel that, that is they were militarily defeated because the people of Midian uh, uh, made Israel made for themselves dens in the mountains and caves and strongholds so you picture this for seven years they're living in caves they're hiding out Sometimes living underground. And so, the, whenever the Israelites planted crops, this is an agricultural society, the Midianites and the Amalekites, others of the tribal people of the east, would come against them, set up their camp, devour the produce of the land, but they would also take their sheep, ox, and donkeys. So, so now they, they try to grow crops to sustain life and every time, as soon as the crops are ready to be uh, harvested, the Midianites and all these other tribal people come in, they eat the whole thing, and they came up with their livestock, verse 5, their tents, like locusts, as so many of them, and their camels, which was sort of like a military tank in the day, so they laid waste to land as they came in, and Israel was brought very low In other words, these people are in desperate famine-like conditions and defeated and discouraged. The people of Israel now, at the end of verse 6, cry out to God. And here's where things begin to change. When the people of Israel cried out to God on the account of the Midianites, God sent a prophet. And look at what the prophet says. The prophets reminded them of how God delivered his people from Egypt from bondage with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand and the plagues and all that God had done. He reminded of that and how God brought them into the land to deliver them. And the people, um, he, he said, now listen, you have, what you have done, he said, I am the Lord your God, verse 10, you should not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Friends, listen to this. When you get desperate in your life, because you're tired of trying to be conformed to this world, and it's not working for you. God will often confront you before you're restored. You need to just get used to that. God will restore. God will show mercy and grace. But God has to speak truth into your life to get you to really change. Anybody here that's just tired of life the way you're living it? It's just not working for you in your marriage, in your life. And friends, expect God to be able to speak truth into your life today that's going to confront you and challenge you because that's what God does before he begins to do a new work in you. Because when you break the mold and are transformed by God, God does amazing things. And the first thing God does is to give you a new identity. So the angel of the Lord came to Gideon. The angel of the Lord, um, when it's not just an, a angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, it often in scripture is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. It's like Jesus showing up in the story. And that's what happens here. And and he's sitting under this tree. Well, Gideon in verse 11 is beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now, a little bit about agriculture in Israel. When you're going to beat out wheat, you would crush it and then you would take a, a fork and you'd throw it up in the air, but you would be up on top of a hill so that the wind would carry away the chaff, the part of it that wasn't good for food, and the seed that was weightier would drop. But Gideon is in a wine press down in a hole in the ground, and he's trying to do it. Why? Because he's hiding out from the bananas. It doesn't work very well to thresh wheat in a wine press, friends. I just want to tell you, throw it up and the wind doesn't take it. It just falls right back down but he's doing that to hide out. That's almost comical to me when I think about where the story starts because of what God says next. God says, "The Lord is with you," verse 12, "O oh, mighty man of valor." O oh, mighty man of valor, threshing wheat in a wine press, really? The Lord's with you, God's present with you. God's going to use you to be his deliverer, O oh, mighty man of valor. That that mighty man means a hero, a champion. It's talking about somebody who is uh, very manly, very strong, very bold. Sort of like those two guys in beards up here making announcements today. Mighty men of valor. Just those kind of guys. By the way, I tried growing a beard for six months and nobody noticed. Um, and, And then he's called a mighty man of valor. And valor is a person of strength and of power and of virtue. God says... Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. He doesn't look like a man of valor. He's not acting like a mighty man of valor. God says, that's who you are. What's going on here? God gives you a new identity. He does. Think about Jacob. His name means supplanter. God says, I'm going to call you Israel. As a prince, you have power with God, a man. Peter, the quicksand kind of guy. God says, I'm going to call you Rocky. You're going to become this strong, stable person. Friends, um, God names your potential before it becomes your reality. God names your potential before you live as you're designed. If you look at the book of Ephesians as an example, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, God says, Here's who you are. Here's how you are as a part of my body. Here's how you are as one of my children. Here's who I say you are. We sing the song around here I am who you say I am. What's that about? It's about your identity. It's only when you discover your new identity and start living like that that you begin breaking the mold and living in the freedom of Christ and being transformed. God, If, if God's going to work in your life, friends, you've got to start with who God says you are. So you look in the mirror of this word rather than looking in the mirror in your bathroom. And God says, here's who you are. Now go live like that. Go live like that. So Gideon's... Um, uh, Gideon's response to God's giving him this new identity in verse 13 says hey if God's with us and why is this happening where's all the wonderful deeds of the past where's all the things that God has done so this is the good thing Gideon's saying I'm just dissatisfied anybody here dissatisfied Gideon was dissatisfied and the angel says okay verse 14 you go in the might you have mighty man of valor you go and Gideon's like he puts his hand up and says oh no I wasn't signing up for that He begins making excuses look at Gideon says he says how can I save Israel my clan is the weakest and I'm the I'm the weakest of, of my whole clan like I'm a I'm a nobody among nobodies is what he's saying I'm hearing an echo of Moses making excuses friends when God calls you don't make excuses he doesn't buy them God doesn't buy your excuses and he'll continue to work in your life You know what excuses show? Somebody said an excuse is a skin of a reason packed with a lie. An excuse is you focusing on yourself instead of who God has called you to be. So your new identity in Christ, God, he promises then, I will be with you, verse 16, and you're going to strike the Midianites. You're going to defeat them. In other words, Gideon, it's not about you. It's not about your strength. It's about who I say you are. And to confirm this identity in verses 17 to 24 there's a sign given to gideon so gideon says hey stay right here i'm gonna go prepare a meal and it takes a little time he's got to bake some bread he's got to kill a goat butcher it and get it ready got to establish a fire and he brings it back and and the uh, the angel of the lord says okay put the bread on the altar put the put the uh, lamb chops on there too and then put the broth over that and then he touches it with his with his rod and the thing is consumed in fire and the angel of the lord goes away and gideon is just terrified all of a sudden he recognizes i have seen the lord i'm going to die so this is a response i have seen god i'm going to die and god speaks to him this is an audible voice from heaven saying no i am the Lord, your peace. I am Jehovah, your shalom. And friends, I just want to say to you, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, listen to the voice of God and he will speak to you and remind you that when you submit and surrender to him and when you discover your new identity, God will come along and say, listen, I'll be your peace i will be your shalom no matter what's going on in your health your marriage your job your finances your spiritual life when you surrender to god and you say break the mold i'm going to discover my new identity god says i'll be your shalom and that's what happens that's what happens your identity in christ drives potential the second thing that happens then is god calls him to destroy his idols look at verse 25 of chapter 6. so that night god says to him take your father's bull, and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal. Now, please uh, see verse 25 that your father has, and the Asherah pole. So Gideon's father had established for his town a idol to Baal, the god who brings thunder and lightning and rain, and the Asherah pole, who was the female deity connected to Baal, and that was the goddess of of um, basically a very immoral goddess who gives fertility. And so you got these two idols, maybe in the town square, established by Gideon's dad. Parents, listen, you need to be thinking seriously about this part of the message because some of us have established idols in our home and we're influencing the next generation. That's what's going on. So he tells him, hey, go um, and, and tear this down tear this down and so um gideon does that he says build in verse 26 an altar to the lord your god on the top of the stronghold with stones take the second bull offered as a burnt offering with the wood of Ashtaroth as you've cut down in other words you take this totem pole kind of asheroth use it for the wood gideon takes ten men of his servants he did what god told him and he did it at night because he was scared spitless of what the people were going to do you know, I, I th- there's nothing in the text to, to tell us what happened here and what thoughts his father had until a little bit later, but I'm thinking about this. If, if his father has built this altar to this uh, statue to Baal in the Asherah pole, and now he's taking his father's two oxen, going to kill them, I wonder what kind of conversation Gideon had the next morning with his dad. I mean, I remember growing up in a home where my dad was an auto mechanic and my oldest brother. Um, wrecked one of his cars and drove, dropped the drive shaft out of another one and ruined it. My next brother uh, also ruined the engine in a car because he forgot to check the oil and then had an accident with another one. I'm the third born and my dad says to me, your brothers blew it for you, you are not going to drive the family car. <laughs> so I went out and bought a beat-up MG and that was my first car. Listen, Gideon takes and destroys his father's idols? He kills a couple of his father's oxen. Just an interesting story that's going on here. And and look what happens. The people in the morning, they get up early in verse 29, and they say, look, the altar of Baal's down. The Asherah pole is cut down. And there's this altar in the the leftover carcass of a bull. And they said, who's done this? And they start checking. Maybe somebody got up in the middle of the night and used the rest of them and saw Gideon doing it. I don't know. But the men of the town said to Gideon's father, bring your son out that he may die. We're going to kill Gideon for wrecking Baal and Asherah. Now whatever happened in the heart of Gideon's father, he must have come to repentance himself because he says this, you're going to contend for Baal, you're going to save him. Whoever contends for him will be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself because his altar's been broken down. And so from that day on, Gideon was given a new nickname by his father, which means Jerebabel, which means let Israel contend for him. By the way, Gideon's name is kind of interesting. His, his proper name means one who's a hewer or a cutter down. He's sort of like a logger. And Gideon's nickname now is given contender against Baal. So he's known for cutting down cutting down the ashtoreth and cutting down the idol. That's what he's known for. And his father says, you're going to contend for this idol Baal? If he's really god let him contend for himself friends if you read through the old testament in its entirety you will find that the prophets of god continue to confront idolatry as a major problem among god's people you will also find in the historical books of the old testament that whenever they got into spiritual decline it was because of idolatry and some of you may be sitting there smugly and saying i'm glad i don't have a problem with that not so fast my friends Last verse of 1st John says this little children. Keep yourself from idols Now why would the prophet John write that if it's not a problem? Our idols are a little bit more discreet Self Sensuality Prosperity knowledge power false religions, man-made philosophies, entertainment, human heroes. Friends, we have our idols, and we need to take an idol inventory this morning and say, what are my idols? You will never know spiritual awakening in your life until you destroy idols. Every time there was a revival, every time there was a spiritual awakening in the Old Testament or in the church or in church history, there has always been the destruction of idols, saying, I'm going to get rid of everything that competes with God for my affection and my worship. You need to understand removing idols is essential to spiritual awakening and so he does that so God's gonna change your identity give you new identity God's gonna call you to destroy your idols and then God's gonna God's gonna replace your doubts with faith look at verse 33 the Midianites the Amalekites and the people of these come together they've crossed the Jordan they've encamped in the valley of Jezreel which is a huge battlefield and the Spirit of God comes upon Gideon He sounds a trumpet, and and in shouting the trumpet, he actually gathers some of the tribal people together into an army, and that hadn't happened in seven years. He's now calling them together. But Gideon is struggling a little bit with doubt. In verse 36, Gideon says to God, Now, if you're going to save Israel by my hand, as you've said, God already promised this. He says, I'm going to lay a fleece of wool. That's that's like um, the, the, the wool from a sheep and he said, I'm going to put it on the threshing floor. If there's dew on that fleece and it's dry on the ground, I'm going to know that you're really going to save Israel. And so in the morning, he gets up. The fleece is wet. The ground is dry. He squeezes it out and fills a bowl. It shouldn't have been enough. But he says, now, God, just just in case, verse um, 39, he said, don't let your anger burn against me. I'm going to speak one more time. Let me just once more with this fleece, let it be dry, and the fleece and the ground wet. So God did that. Drown. Sometimes God's people talk about, I need to lay out a fleece. You know what? Gideon's fleece was not an expression of faith, it was an expression of doubt. He said, God, I, even though you've spoken, even though you've promised, it's not enough for me, you've got to show me a sign. If your faith requires a sign, when God has already spoken, you do not have a strong faith. Think about Thomas in the Bible, Easter, Christ is risen, shows up in the upper room. The other disciples testify of his resurrection. Thomas isn't in the room. So he says to the other disciples, unless I see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, I will not believe. Unless I thrust my hand into the side, I will not believe. The next weekend, Jesus shows up in the room and Thomas is there. And the first thing Jesus says, after peace be to you, he said, Thomas, put your finger in here. Thrust your hand into the side and be be not faithless but believing. And Thomas, I believe, falls on his face and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Thomas, because you've seen, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. By the way, on this very day... Thomas was martyred in India. This very day. I mean, not this day, but back, you know, in the first century. Thomas was martyred. Thomas became a man of great faith. Friends, if your faith requires constant miracles to prove itself, you do not have a biblically-rooted, Christ-centered faith. And so he's saying, I, I, I need to be, it needs to be proved to me. It needs to be proved to me. Friends, Listen faith that requires a sign or miracles continually is not a great faith you read through the gospel of john you see that this week i was i was reading in matthew's gospel and i got to chapter 8 and chapter 8 of matthew is a chapter that just shows the power and authority of christ in doing numerous miracles one of those miracles is for the servant of a centurion who was a roman soldier over a hundred soldiers and if you compare the other gospels the jewish people from that community came to jesus and said this is a good man this is a righteous man this is one that you should do this for him because he is apparently a convert to judaism though a roman and he has built our synagogue and so jesus encounters this man and the, the here's what the centurion says i am not worthy that you should come to my house humility Not worthy. You just speak the word, Jesus, and it'll be done. Confidence. Because I'm a man under authority, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. Submission. Great faith, my friends, is characterized by humility, confidence, and submission to the authority of Jesus. And that's what he does. Abraham, described as a man of great faith. Abraham who's over 90 when God says it's about time you start a family. Anybody in that age group here going to start a family this week? So God kept that promise. Abraham didn't stagger at the promise of God. He believed that God was faithful and could do exactly what he said. No wonder when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, Gideon is listed in the Bible Hall of Faith as a man of great faith. He didn't start off that way. Well, friends, God will meet you wherever you are in your doubts and will, if you will understand this principle, feed your faith and doubts will starve. Feed your faith scripture and doubts will starve. Feed your faith by meditating upon the word of God, claiming his promises, seeing his truths. Feed your faith and doubts will starve. Learn that lesson. Replace your doubts with faith. That's what God's going to do. And then God prepares you for battle. So you go over to chapter 7, and Gideon calls the people, and they arise for the encampment near the spring of Herod, which means trembling. And the camp of Midian was north of them on the hill of Mora in the valley. And God then says to Gideon, the people who are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of his troops returned and only 10,000 remained. That's two thirds of his army. By the way, when you look at the, the combination, of the Midianites and the Amorites and all the other uh, tribes of the east, there's an estimate that probably they had about 135,000 troops. You had 135,000 versus 32. And now, God sends them packing, those that are afraid. You only have 10,000. And the Lord says to Gideon, "Um, there's still too many. Take them down to the water, and I'll test them for you there. Anyone who I say to you, this one will go with you, will go. The one who's not to go with you will not go. He brought people down to the water, and he says, now listen, everyone who laps the water, watch this, I'm not going to really lap, but but they're down like this, and they're lapping the water face down. He said, send them back. And everyone who scoops the water and is looking around, keep them. You wind up with 300. 300 against 135,000. Now, why did God cut them down that way? Three, three things we need to learn about how God prepares you for battle. God's looking for spiritual warriors who have one, humility. Humility. God says, I'm not going to send you in a way that you're going to get the credit. Number two, those who have courage. Because they're focused on what God can do, not what they can do. And then they are watchful. They are watchful. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray. So there's humility, there's courage, and there's watchfulness. Friends, if you're going to be a warrior for God, you need those characteristics. You need humility because pride will destroy you every time. You'll find out that God is a jealous God. Courage because God God wants people who have a big God and are willing to trust him in the battle. And God wants people that are watchful. They're alert to what's going on around them spiritually. And so there's 300. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29. God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. God says, Gideon, this battle is not going to be done your way. It's going to be done my way. I'm going to cut you down from 32,000 to 10,000. I'm going to cut you from 10,000 down to 300, and then that's the group I'm going to work with. Why? One person and God is a majority. One person and God is a majority. One person and God is a majority. And God gave them 300, divided them into three different groups. So God gives them victory and gives them deliverance. Uh, I won't uh, camp on chapter 7, verses 9 to 15, but God gives Gideon a little bit of encouragement and says, hey, take your, your trusted servant with you and go down to the camp. And he overhears a nightmare that one of the Midianite soldiers had the night before about a, a big piece of, of, of round bread rolling down to the camp and destroying the camp of the Midianites. And so his buddy interprets it and says, that's nothing but the God of Midian, the God of Gideon. God's going God's to gonna destroy us through that. And so he goes away with great encouragement. Now look at how the battle is done. In verse 19, Gideon divides the army of 300 into three groups of 100. He comes to the outskirt of the camp in verse 19 when they just changed the guard in the camp of Gideon, of Midianites. And they've got some interesting armor here. They've got a torch with a pottery vessel over it They've got a ram's horn, and they've got a sword on their side. Now, that's a little bit interesting way to go into battle. But God sent Moses into battle with just a rod, and David with just a slingshot. Remember, friends, that when we do spiritual battle, the weapons of our warfare are not of this flesh, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so what happens is they go down into the, into the battlefield there, and as in verse twenty, the three companies blew the trumpets, they broke the jars, and they hold in the hands their, their torches, and they cry out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And they're all surrounding the camp of Midianite. Remember, they're outnumbered three hundred to one hundred and thirty-five thousand. But when they blew the trumpets, the Lord sent every man's sword against his comrade, in other words the Midianites and the other tribal people. And the army fled under them, and the men of Israel were called out from other of the, the tribes to defeat them. And Gideon sent messengers around them, and God brought victory. Listen, friends, there was a total, absolute victory over Midian. God delivered his people, and God will still do that. God will still do that. It's a wonderful verse in um, Romans eight thirty-seven. This is what it says. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In, in the Greek language, it's, it sounds like this. We are upper conquerors. It's the word conqueror, the one who will be victorious, and then it puts the word upper, more than, we could say super conquerors through him that loved us. Friends, God can give to his people total and complete victory when they trust in him. So my question to you, are you ready to break the mold like Gideon was? You ready to break the mold and be transformed into Christ's likeness? Are you ready to face your battles this week, trusting Christ's power? He is the mold breaker and he's the life transformer. Christ is the deliverer who gives us victory. He is the Satan crusher, the sin redeemer, the death defeater, the world conqueror. Before him, demons trembled, nations in rebellion were crushed like potter's, potter's vessel. It's just tiny when you just walked out here, of course, like Potter. He is the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God. He's the everlasting Patriarch and the Prince of Peace. He is the Lord of hosts. Angel armies obey his commands. Creation opens the Red Sea before him. And the church storms the gates of hell to rescue souls. His power is unquenchable. His mission is unstoppable. His authority is unquestionable. His church is indestructible. He arms a believer in his truth like a belt. His righteousness, our breastplate. His gospel, our standing. His faithfulness, our shield. His word, our sword. His salvation, our helmet. His access and prayer, our dependence. No mythical gods of Greek or Roman mythology can compare. No movie characters by the imagination of man is in his league no false gods of man-made religion can stand before him. He is the only true God, the only living God. He's the only God who can save. He's the only God who can deliver. Do you know him? Have you trusted him as your savior? Have you followed him as your conqueror? Have you experienced his death-defying, sin-conquering, and transforming power? Let's pray. Father, you want like in Gideon's day to bring spiritual awakening. You want there to be a movement that only you can do. God, we're a lot like Gideon in our weakness. We may be dissatisfied, but we're not always prepared to be used by you. God, may we discover our identity in Christ and live in the light of that. May we break down every idol in our life so that you alone are worshipped. May we replace our doubts with faith, May we acknowledge that to prepare for the spiritual battle we need to humble ourselves before you and find courage in you. And we need to be watchful of our spiritual life. And you bring the victory because we're more than conquerors to him that loved us. In Jesus' name.